Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans like you, Tom. And today, we are drinking. We are drinking. I am drinking. (laughs) I don't know why I said Tom. Hello, Tom. Because we used to have me say something else, and then we decided not to have me say that thing. And you're like, wait a minute, doesn't he say something? And it's like, no, I don't say that thing anymore. So now I just drink. Let's just talk about alcohol. I'm drinking um, Old Potrero. It is a very fine whiskey, uh, local to San Francisco. Um, Let me tell you. Very rare. She likes that so much. That whiskey, she is going to be drinking it for weeks. Yes. Literally, in the next video you see me in, I will still be drinking this whiskey a week from now. <laughs> me? I'm going to be sucking on this longboard lager for a long time. See, this glass of whiskey mm-hmm. would probably be okay if I just left it here for a week. Your beer? Not so much. No, not so much. That's not, that's Even if it, I put it in the fridge, it would just be flat and gross. <laughs> All right. Well- so if you see me drinking a longboard lager in a week, talking to Gary Witta... Entirely unrelated to this bottle of longboard lager. Totally different bottle. Totally. Not the same bottle at all. Mm, not totally the same. Lying to you right now. Not a skunked out beer by that point. <laughs> no, it's a different, no, completely it's different beer. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. let's, uh, let's jump right into the quick burns. Yeah. So the internet is alive, a fire with, uh, with, with this Wheel of Time pilot called Winter Dragon that just appeared. Uh, people on Goodreads uh, for the Sword and Laser group were like, did you guys see this Wheel of Time thing is on FXX tonight? I'm going to tape it. Turns out it's a very sordid and complicated story. Essentially, a publishing company, a movie publishing company, uh, have claim... I should say claim, at this point, claim, claim they have the rights to make a movie out of Wheel of Time or a television series, either one. Uh, and so they were going to lose those rights if they didn't create a series by a certain date in February. That's typical stuff. You you get the rights, you option the rights, and then the rights expire after a certain time if you don't exercise them. And, and movie studios do this all the time. Well, this company, Red Eagle Entertainment, mm-hmm. decided to exercise that clause by just throwing together uh, an, an episode, which has two people in it, uh, of the prologue, very loosely based on the prologue, of the first book of Wheel of Time, and then paid FXX for one of their paid programming slots uh, in the middle of the, the night so that they could technically say, no, we did produce a show of, out of Wheel of Time. I would call it the, the shitter get off the pot clause, mm-hmm. basically. I yeah. think that's the, one of the legal definitions uh, for that particular uh, <laughs> piece of law. It is the uh, in the Latin, uh, excretio <laughs> o abortio. Oh, God, that's awful. Um, and, and yeah, so they just had to throw th- something together. And of course, did not go over well with the estate of Robert Jordan, unfortunately um uh no in fact harriet mcdougall who is the widow of of robert jordan aka james rigney um said i have had nothing to do with this i don't know what they're talking about uh i know that 
Bandersnatch, which is the LLC that operates or Jordan's estate, had a deal with Universal. And we were like, oh, yeah, Universal. We all know Universal. They make movies and TV shows, et cetera. Uh, she's like, I don't know what they're talking about. And now Red Eagle Entertainment is actually suing Harriet McDougal in United States District Court for Central California for defaming them by saying she did too know we told her we were going to do this and she's she's out there telling people lies. She's sounding yeah well she came out the day after and was very upset about this whole thing and was talking to anyone who would listen about how they had you know they they didn't run this by her she knew nothing about it she was as surprised as anyone else this is the first she had heard of it I you know I frankly I kind I find that kind of hard to believe. I I don't know why I'm I'm erring on the side of the production company and not the widow of Robert Jordan. Um, but for some reason, it, it just feels like I, I know how these things go. And I just find it very hard to believe that she had no idea this thing was happening. Maybe... Maybe she didn't, except, but someone in her except, estate... Have you watched it? I have. have you watched is it, it? No. No. It is in a, in a place, in a room. It's all in one scene essentially uh it's it's all in one location it might even be a virtual set i can't quite tell and it's got two actors like this thing was shot in a day well because they had to they they had to just put literally anything up i want could they have just put a cover of robert jordan's book They're on like, screen who's for available hour? billy zane oh, billy like, zane and max ryan great meet us in this hotel lobby we're gonna shoot an episode <laughs> of wheel of time like i i kind of on the opposite end i tend to believe harriet mcdougall and i i bet red eagle like sent her an email that she doesn't even know she got it probably went straight to spam and they're gonna go look we told her we told her we were doing well, this. Well, then they she told her. She doesn't know who they are. Well, she, well she, maybe. She, knows, she must know who they are. I mean. she's And here's where it gets tricky. She claims that the deal is with Universal. And that Universal may or may not have contracted a separate deal with Red Eagle to do development, but that's not her concern. Well, her deal's with Universal, and Universal didn't tell her But that doesn't matter. Anything. If Red Eagle is contracted by Universal, then they have the rights to do whatever they want with it. If Universal gives them their blessing, I mean, that doesn't really... I mean, well, what has Universal said about is, this whole thing? It is very telling that Universal hasn't said a thing hasn't about Hasn't said it, jack as as poop. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, this is an um, ongoing story. We will let you know about uh, the further developments also, as they happen. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I'm a little suspicious of a company that instead of going and talking to Harriet McDougal and saying, "Hey, settle down. Mm -hmm. We're making. You know, we're a legitimate company, and we're going to make this television series. Uh, you, we've been talking to you about this. If she has, a, if they have a relationship with her, rather than suing her." But it is kind like somebody of somebody who claims that she's never been heard of these people, and then they just sue her for saying that. Can you imagine what it must sound like for their reputation if they're a production company and they had to put this thing out so they could retain the rights, and now they have like a, a well-known figure in the literary community being like, "I didn't know a thing about this. This is crazy," and every newspaper and blog is writing about it and talking about it. You'd be pretty upset. I mean, it, that's already out there, and now their name is being dragged through the mud online and that's going to stick up there forever that they just like ripped off someone so from a content creator perspective but i'm kind of like they did well if they did then hopefully a jury <laughs> will find them throw out their complaint throw out their case you know i don't yeah. know i i mean i really don't know but i just i'm just saying this strikes me as something that is sort of 
just odd. Red Eagle Entertainment doesn't have a long resume of making, you know, pilots and stuff. If that were the case, then I would feel like very much like you. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, you can't really tell who these people are. They don't have much Fair enough. To their resume. Maybe maybe that, you know, I'm not going to judge somebody just because they're starting out or they haven't done anything, but they've had this deal since 2008. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. For And then I'm looking at this. Adam Whitehead says uh, that Red Eagle commissioned Obsidian Entertainment to work on a single-player RPG that they then failed to produce any money to fund the game. Okay. I don't know. There's just something. Are you getting? You're I'm not getting saying a, you're wrong. I'm not vibe. saying you're wrong. I just, yeah. There's something. I smell snapper. I just like that her company is called Bandersnatch LLC. That makes me want <laughs> to say awesome. Bandersnatch Cootie Hooch, which is my nickname for Benedict Cumberbatch. The Bandersnatch Group. <laughs> All right. Well, let's <laughs> move on. That's actually it's to an equally <laughs> difficult uh, estate and and author and and uh, I don't know why where I'm going with this exactly. Let's do some George R. R. Martin stories. How about it? Yeah, uh, there's tons of George R. R. Martin related news. First of all, he got up uh, at the Writers Guild West Awards on Valentine's Day and said the following. <laughs> People are going to die who don't die in the books. And he's, by the way, he's talking about the television show. And then he, wasn't he laughed maniacally. The <laughs> yeah, the audience at the Valentine's Day event. He pulled out event. a sigh. Uh, no, he said, people are going to die who don't die in the books. So even the book readers will be unhappy. So everybody better be on their toes. David and DB, obviously talking about uh, David Benioff uh, and David Weiss, are even bloodier than I am. This is, you know, this is great. I actually think it's great. This is fantastic. Because we knew there was going to have to be some divergence because the the show is has caught up to the books and, you know, the storyline has to keep progressing. And I think it's really fun as a book reader to now not know what the F is going to happen on this show. It's exciting. I feel almost yeah. like it's a whole new show to me now because I can't be the person in the room saying, oh, well, <laughs> oh, here's the I, red this, wedding. I know do, do, what's going to happen here, buddy-o. And uh, so for me, this is actually kind of cool, though changing from the source material is always can be a little like weird and problematic, but at the same time, I think it's going to be really fun and uh, I'm looking forward to it though. I just hope he doesn't kill any of my favorite characters that are still alive at this point. That's vaguely terrifying. Well, and I'm actually going to bump this story up because I think it goes better here. You, you can think of this as an alternate game of Thrones now, right? Like you're going to get the TV version, but that doesn't mean that the same things are going to happen in the book. So if stuff starts to happen that hasn't happened in the book, it's not necessarily a spoiler because what George R. R. Martin's saying right. is these are diverging now. Okay. So that's, that's its own universe. Well, and Sean pointed out that Martin's original outline for the series of books has come out on winteriscoming.net and it is different than what he ended up actually writing. Well, that's so there's not like that, that's all not kinds that weird. of alternate universes. Though, um, you know, I, if we look at this in the framework of The Walking Dead, for example, something that has gone a different timeline than its original source material, people who die in The Walking Dead, the comic book, have not died sure. famously on the show, for example. And vice versa. And vice versa. Um, so it, that, I think, is a really great example of this kind of thing working 
and working well and keeping the audience, keeping their interest in, in both material um, without feeling like they know everything that can possibly happen. So I think that, you know, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be crazy. And now I'm like, this is actually going to be pretty good, I think. No, it's going to be so fun to be like, ooh, Cersei could get killed here <laughs> rather than thinking like, like, oh, well, she, I know she's safe, right? right? right. It like just re-injects all this tension uh, into things. Like, who Tyrion, kill Tyrion, I mean, he's, you know, we, ah, oh, there's so many potential. Tyrion could, Tyrion could die. He Tyrion, could, Tyrion could, die. could die. Think of that. Don't do that. Don't do that. D.B. Weiss don't, and don't, David Benioff. George R. R. Martin, don't let that happen. Sake. I mean, have I exert mean, some self-control. Obviously, I, I don't think <laughs> Khaleesi dies. I don't Why think do you, you call do her that. Khaleesi? That's not her name. That's her That's title. That's her proper title. That is her I don't, title. Not, I don't know her personally. You're no better than all those people who name their babies Khaleesi. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. No, they're they're kind of cool, but they're also wrong and weird because they named oh, their child. Oh, should I not call Jon Snow Jon Snow because he's a bastard? No, that's I his should... name. That's not his title. It'd be like, well, it'd be I'm like just naming, showing some respect. It'd be like naming your child Prince. <laughs> For which example, not which has that, never happened actually, in the history of time. No, it's never happened. Uh, just to round out our George R. R. Martin uh, news, Mila Jovovich is going to star in an adaptation of the Lost Lands stories, which I sadly have never read. Maybe I should read them now. And uh, thank you, Andrew P., for that. And Terp Kristen... Uh, said obviously everybody is upset that the next book in the song of ice and fire series is not coming until 2015 or is not coming in this year 2015 mm-hmm. however there is some good news as george R. R. martin announced that his duncan egg stories are finally coming to a standalone collection Ooh. on october 6th That's the edition will be illustrated the edition will be illustrated on virtually every page by gary gianni uh the announcement can be read at his live journal which he hoped adorably still keeps i know it's the best i feel like reading his live journal makes me feel like a 17 year old again back when we poured all our feelings into live journal and everything was encapsulated in a tiny little how are you feeling thing at the bottom where you made a little emoji that was like he does the moods i'm a teenager in the post about duncan eggs collection he wrote current mood impressed see there you go I just, uh, awesome. I, at Borderlands this past week, I bought uh, Rogues. Um, so I'm really excited to read that collection of, of various yeah. short stories, including, uh, you know, Joe Abercrombie's in there, uh, Naomi Novik's in there, George R. R. Martin, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, lots of great authors. So I'm, I'm stoked on that one. Uh, but speaking of authors who I really love, uh, David says they've announced the first in Jim Butcher's new Cinder Spire series, The Aeronauts Windless, which is going to be out in September. Um, I have not yet started reading this series. Um, this was his more like steampunky series, right? Yeah, it's his first. Well, it's, it's his new steampunk it's the fantasy first, series. So you couldn't have written it. Oh, or for read some it, reason, right? I thought the first one was already out. I'm confused. I think I must be thinking of hearing that news about it happening, and and uh, you know, making in my brain, I'm like, oh, there's another first book I've already missed reading. You're just so used to getting all your fancy beta reads from your famous writer friends i have i'm beta reading two books right now and blurbing them and it's difficult Mm -hmm. tough Mm -hmm. life belmont tough life yeah you're like oh wait did jim butcher not send me the beta read of this (laughs) well according to tor.com uh the cinder spires is set in a fascinating new world where an ancient evil has awoken plunging the world into a shroud of mist filled with monstrous and fantastic creatures the fate of humanity will rest on the loyalty and courage of a single airship's crew 
New York Times bestselling author David Weber said, This is Jim Butcher at his best. It's steampunk meets magic with a dose of sci-fi for seasoning. Oh, look who else has been blurbing for Jim Butcher. David Weber. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> that is kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so check it out September 29th. 2015 when that one comes out oh that's a long way uh, away it is a while it is a while you'll forget <laughs> again by then i'd be like oh i haven't read the first two books in that series yet darn <laughs> uh and then kevin by the way you guys are killing, killing it, it on the quick burns thread there are more quick burns than we can fit in the show so do yourself a favor and go to the quick burns thread in our goodreads group and read some of the other great stuff that, that people have submitted there uh kevin pointed out tour.com has announced its first line of novellas will be published later this year from a new imprint. I think this is really fascinating that, and Tor is always good at being on the edge of new trends, mm -hmm. uh, that they're saying, you know what? A lot of people are writing novellas out there, especially self-published authors. Let's take advantage of this. Let's let's get some talented people who are writing novellas and let, let's make a line for them. Let's make an imprint for them. That's very exciting. Yep. Um, I, I love Tor. I love most of the stuff they do. So that's, that is very good news. And they're going to be doing three to four books a month, also beginning in September 2015. Well, people from Tor, if you listen to the show, if you want to come on and talk about it or have any of your authors come on and talk about it, we are always open to that. Uh, moving yeah, on. They're not, they're not, uh, they're, uh, well, I just, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because these are, I'm, I Go made ahead. it sound like they're all new authors. They're not no. all new authors. There's like Sean and McGuire mm -hmm. in here. Uh, they're going to have stories from Paul Cornell, Mary Robinette Cole, uh, some very familiar names, Michael R. Underwood. So, you know, Scott Harrison. Good stuff. Go check it out. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. I'm excited about that. I like novellas because sometimes I don't have time things. to read a book that's 900 pages long. You know, sometimes you don't. Sometimes, sometimes I don't, don't either. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Moving on for reels this time. Ben says, the Locust recommended reading list itself is a worthy quick burn. Each year it comes out in February, highlighting what Locust reviewers collectively regard as the best genre work to come out in a given year. It covers everything from YA to grimdark and from literary SF null works, SF null? works to heavy action space opera it's much longer than an award shortlist and many people use the list to give them ideas about what great works they may have missed from the previous year nice stuff yeah, yeah this is a this is a really cool list uh if you're looking for some good things to read and you can't remember what came out last year. <laughs> uh, it, it's essentially all of the important things that you need to know. And if there's a book on here that it, that you think is amazing uh, and it's not on here, I'm not trying to, to like insult that book, but this is a quality list. I mean, you're talking The Bone Clocks, David Mitchell. Uh, you're talking John Scalzi Lock-In. I would like William to point Gibson's out peripheral. that uh, Beth Cato and The Clockwork Dagger, which we did a giveaway for on the website, is on the first novels oh, yeah. list. Which is oh, fantastic nice. for her. And they also break it down by uh, young adult books, first novels, um, you know, like The Clockwork Dagger, and collections and anthologies. Anthologies and collections are different things. Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense because collections are all single. Authors. The problem is, is that I just do not need more uh, books to read. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. There's novellas and novelettes. See, you go read the novelettes list. Even shorter. And then you're fine. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, or short stories if you've got no time at all. Well, thank you everyone for submitting quick burns for this week's episode. We always appreciate it. And if you want to contribute something of your own, head over to goodreads.com slash sword and laser and head over to the quick burn section of the forums. Uh, but let's jump into the book of the month discussion. Um, we are wrapping up early, a little bit early because it's a short month, um, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, fortunately, it's somewhat of a short read, uh, the first book at least, um, and many of you have finished it in like a day, as you tend to do. So, uh, But if you haven't read it, now would be a good time to uh, stop listening to the show, perhaps. We're going to spoil the book. There are going to be some Just spoilers. Saying. Yeah. Um, but let's jump right in with uh, some first impressions, or final impressions, rather. Uh, Tom, what did you think of this book? <laughs> that Three was a stars. really long pause. Three stars. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And here's the thing. I thought the writing was beautiful. I thought the concept was intriguing. But I, if I'm honest with myself, I felt like I had to read it. Like whenever mm. I went to, I was like, oh, right. I should read this. Like it was not something I was inspired. Like, ooh, I have to find out what happens next. I think... And I, I would like to, I'm curious if other people agree with this. I think this book needs to be read, not listened to. I think this is an example of where you don't want to do the audiobook. Uh, because I just don't think having it read to me gave me the full appreciation of the prose. And this is a book about atmosphere and prose. Uh, and I just, I don't know, I found myself drifting a lot more and, and just not following what I needed to be getting out of the book. And I'm not saying just because it doesn't have action, it's boring, because there's plenty of other books I've enjoyed that don't have a lot of action in them, and I still enjoy them. There's just something about this that didn't capture me, and I can't put my finger on it because I, I listen to the prose, and I'm like, that's gorgeous writing. And I think about the character of the biologist, and I'm like, that's a, such a, a complex and interesting character. I, I almost feel like there's something wrong with me for not liking it more. <sighs> Well, I definitely think that perhaps you are your your thinking is in line with many of our members. I, I got the sense that that was. Uh, well, what did you think? I liked it, and I actually think that I liked it better having listened to the audiobook. Okay, well that's it. So okay. that's that's good. a big that's good to know. That's a big point where we diverge on this. I think because yeah, yeah. for me. <sighs> You know, I, I, I heard someone say or, or write in the very beginning of this discussion that the audiobook was kind of boring to listen to, that it wasn't very well voice acted. And oh, no, see, I, d I disagree with that. I think the voice acting was fine. It's not that's not my I issue. Had, I had sure. some technical issues with it um, uh, on right. my own. Um, but, you know, as a as a as a voice actor. Oh, right. Well, no, tool yes, yourself. no mm. I'm not that thing. Um as an amateur voice actor, I had some issues with it. Um, oh, and actually, uh, Terp Carson just posted in the Q&A, um, many in the forum said that the audiobook didn't work for them. It also seems to be a bad audiobook narrator or something. I haven't tried it yet. Oh, Not no. sure I'm going I, to do so anytime soon. I okay. don't think it's a bad audiobook. I mean, I, I also don't think Veronica's crazy for taking some issues maybe with some of the, the performance, but it's it's not a horrible audiobook. No, it's not. I, I thought I've the performance was fine. to bad audio like not great audiobooks before and and but this was this was okay there were some technical issues yes um with the performance i don't know if it was an editing thing or a reading pace thing or what um it it didn't really it, it, so that came up in my listening from time to time but i felt like 
the way she was reading it felt like reading a journal that was being written. And for me, that felt like kind of the voice I would be using in my head were I to have picked up her notebook and continued reading myself. If I found a pile of notebooks in, you know, Mm -hmm. in a lighthouse, you know, that's maybe that's how I would be reading it in my head. And I actually found it very gripping and very tense. Um, And I don't know if it needed a lot of acting to make that interesting to me because I thought the content was so unusual and so tense in certain points and, and unusual. I already said unusual. Uh, it was very unusual. Like the things that were happening were, were hard to describe. And so I think my brain was working extra hard to visualize what she was seeing. And yeah. Do you do other things when you listen to your audiobooks? Nothing complicated. At the most, I'm walking or with the dog uh-huh. or maybe washing okay. dishes, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but that's kind of the same. I, I don't do anything I had, you know, that takes my mind, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll vacuum or, or run or something. I was like, maybe that, maybe I just needed to have my entire concentration on the book. Here's the thing, though. I was enamored enough with Area X and its mysteries. Mm-hmm. That I went ahead and I got the trilogy, which I was stupid because I should have just bought the trilogy for one credit. As, as we I talked about last time. Last yeah. episode. Uh, but I felt a little better about the second book, and I'm almost done with the third book, and I feel pretty good about the third book, but I'm still I'm still not captured. I'm still not captivated by it. So wait, and how, yet how I far keep did you get? It. How far did, are you now? I'm almost, I'm like uh, two thirds of the way through the last book. Okay. So um, another issue. I know the mystery now. I've gotten to that part where they. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like the issue with a lot of people was the complete lack of any resolution whatsoever for any of the mysteries in the book, except for what the writer of the words looked like and what he, he, she. Where lies the strangling fruit. Um, yes. So I think a lot of people were left feeling a little bit like empty or a little bit confused or didn't get that sense of completion. Because, I mean, we've read plenty of first books in in series or trilogies before. And sometimes we're left wanting to know more for sure. But I feel like this is the first book we've read in a really long time where at the end you're just kind of like, huh. Uh... Okay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, she the biologist what? is heading off on on her quest, so you're obviously pointed in a direction for the future, which mm-hmm. is actually doesn't really come in right away in the second book. Um slight spoiler. Uh the the second book if you read the dust jacket, you you know that. I I I'm puzzled by my reaction to the book. It's one of those things where you're like I can't tell you why it's not making me more excited to read it but i can tell i'm not more excited to read it but yet when i'm reading it i don't have i'm not complaining i'm not you know you know struggling to get through it i'm like no this is all very interesting it, i don't know weird it's like you too it's weird i never want to pick up i never want to pick up a u2 album but then when it plays it's fine it's like cold play for me yeah. Yeah. It's like I Same wouldn't thing. think I wouldn't admit that I like Coldplay, but if, if the song's on the radio, <laughs> yeah. I'll sing to it. Uh-huh. I will sing along yeah. and I will know Jack all Johnson, the words same way for me. inexplicably. Yeah. Um 
So we had a lot of comment threads on this. This was a, a very discussed book over in the forums on Goodreads. Um, Sean said, uh, this book left me a little cold. It's not bad, but not something I'd either pick up again or recommend to anyone else. Ouch. And after a few days, I think I figured out what my problem was. The narrator doesn't seem to have any real motivation for anything. There's plenty of question uh, what that could could motivate her. What caused her husband's strange condition upon his return? Why did the psychologist apparently send the anthropologist to her death? What caused a surveyor to suddenly go nuts and try to kill her? What created Area X in the first place? But no, she just sort of wanders through events, uninterested and untouched by everything that happens. If the narrator and the protagonist can't be bothered to show an interest in what's happening, then why should I? I don't agree I, with that. I don't yeah, agree with that. I don't agree that. with that either. And, 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 I'm, and I'm not picking on Sean. I, I, I believe that that's the way it hit Sean, but it did not hit me that way. Uh, I felt like the biologist was very interested in things, including her husband. Mm -hmm. uh, she talks about her husband all the time. Her husband is an enigma with her, and the husband is the exact reason she goes to the island at the end of the book. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly, that's 100% her motivation for being on this trip and for really sticking it out and try to figure out what's going on. Because even though yeah. they didn't have necessarily the best relationship, you know, she she cares about what happened to him and she wants to know what it was. Um, Eric, she's very interested in the tunnel. Yeah, she, she's, she's tower. She's, she's obsessed tower. with it. It's a tower. Ah, I see. You know, that ends up, I, I shouldn't say anything, okay. but that ends up like, I thought that was going to, you know, let's just keep it just to this book. I thought we were going to find out why Tower and Tunnel uh, was such Should a big thing. And I guess we sort of do at the end of this book where she like sees that there's another exit deep down mm. at the end of the tunnel. But she tower, wanted it to be tower, a tower. Tunnel. So another exit doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. So don't Eric, know Eric uh, Redden on, on the Hangout says, the biologist is an unreliable narrator anyway. You couldn't trust any answer true. she would give you. And of course, I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. And on top of that, she's been infected by the moss, the spores. So we don't know what is happening in her mind as we've progressed past that point. It could be... Or she could who be, she really is. She could be being manipulated right now. She may not even look human from the outside. We don't know. Totally. I mean, we already know her I eyes mean, are as, all red and weird, but... And as we find out, her husband both came back from Area X and went to the island. So how did that happen? And how does that relate to who the biologist is and who she thinks she is? Mm, so many questions. Mm. Um, uh, and Daniel, Daniel's post, he started a thread called This Book Is Not Normal Narrative, I think shed some light on possibly my own opinion and also Sean's opinion. Uh, he, he said... He, he went very far. He said, I feel like we should have a trigger warning on this month's pick. It's written in such a different style that I found it dangerous to my calm. <laughs> uh, uh, it's something that few books can do, but this one takes an approach that makes it very dangerous for certain people. This book doesn't use the common narrative to tell a story in the normal way that people are used to. This is what I think would be called a chaos narrative. The personal description of someone who is progressing through their own mental illness, and we are left wit to witness something alien or worse yet not alien, and in fact all too familiar. It's the progression of someone through a mental illness that starts with them at a very young age and terminates only after they are themselves on the edge of, well, annihilation. Now, he has a lot more that he writes here, but I thought that was fascinating because once I read this post from Daniel, I could totally see what he's talking about, right? Her isolation, her wanting to be away from people and, and look at the tide pools and investigate systems 
could be seen as antisocial behavior for sure. And then her sort of disinterest in her fellow uh, teammates mm-hmm. that go into Area X, exhibition mates, uh, could also be seen that way. And I was like, wow. One of the things that I think Vandermeer is pulling off very well here is creating a canvas that reflects back to you what you're putting into it. Yeah, I mean, you could even take it so far as to say that she wasn't affected by the hypnotic suggestion, not because of the spores, but because her brain doesn't work that way. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, you don't, we don't know exactly what, what the effect was there. Um, this book is very interesting because it's not, people don't describe it to me as a fantasy book or a sci-fi book. It's, it's more typically described to me as almost like a horror novel or just regular fiction. And I wonder why people have such a difficult time categorizing it. And I think it's because it, it, it goes so many different ways. I mean, it feels sci-fi in aspects. It feels fan- fantastical in other areas. Um, but then at other times, it, it feels like a horror horror tale or a psychological yeah. thriller. Um, and well, it's funny. Um, I, I had a glitch in my book where uh, a, like a page of audio wasn't there. What? But it was just a weird, like probably when it was downloading, it got the file got corrupted a little bit or something. So, so a, a couple pages worth of, of audio were, were not there in the audiobook. And I happened to be near a Barnes and Noble. So I went into the Barnes and Noble <laughs> to, to just find the book on the those shelf and read exist. those two pages. Uh, and I couldn't find it. I was, I was, it was like, well, maybe they just don't stock it. That's kind of weird. It was not in science fiction and fantasy, it was in literary fiction mm, mm-hmm. and uh john posted and and then a- after that i saw john's thread where he's like uh i'm much i'm pretty much a genre fan which i mean science fiction and fantasy and comics i will read the occasional literary work and have enjoyed dickens dumas the bronte sisters but in general literary works leave me cold annihilation is what it's not traditional science fiction certainly not fantasy not really horror I've recently seen a description of genre fiction being plot-based, whereas literary fiction is about characters and mood. So based on that, I'd call this piece a literary fiction. And then a few other people in the thread said, yeah, I went into my local bookstore and they put it in the literary fiction section as well. I think it, it, it's kind of one of those books that just, def- well, you know, it's very difficult. And I wonder if this was a difficult sell for him um, because it your publishers like to have a very defined genre going into this kind of thing, especially with a big release because they need to know how to promote it. But this book seems to kind of defy all those conventions, um, which makes what it is a, the a, new, we talked about last time about how new it is weird. considered the new weird, but that's not, um, that's not a very popular term for general audiences, right. mainstream audiences right now. There's so there's no new weird section no, in my local bookstore. It's not yet. even in borderlands. There's not a new weird section. Um, so <laughs> Tassie Dave said it's weird, speculative, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, dystopian mystery. Okay. I buy it. Yeah. It's a mouthful, but I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> Won't fit on a placard in the, for your section sign either. Well, I don't know. You know, I haven't decided if I'm going to continue reading this book, this series yet. Um, I really want to know more about Area X, but I can't decide if this is a case where I just go on Wikipedia and read the plot or if I actually go, <laughs> if I actually read the that's, rest of the that's series. Interesting. I, I was like <clears throat> struggling to like this book as much as I felt I should and kept reading. You like admittedly like, yeah, I liked it, but maybe I will skip the last two books. That's that's funny. Well, I have, you know, I mean, we all have this problem of having a limited number of reading 
for sure time and readability and uh with two book clubs and multiple other reading projects i have on my plate right now it has something has to really freaking grab me for me to continue reading um so that's that's tough but we have another I comment think i felt I think I felt like it was a challenge where I was like, no, I know I should like this. I'm going to keep persevering. And and my appreciation did improve. I'm not saying, oh, you have to read all three to like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. But getting other viewpoints on the story definitely Other, definitely other people thought that it. way. In the forums, it was prevailing knowledge that, oh, if you finish the series, you'll feel better about it. But then other people were like, well, is that really a good way to write a book? Like... You, you know, you're not going to like the first book, but you'll like the series overall. I don't know. Uh, wait, I just wanted to I get... Think that, I, I, I think that's fine. If somebody is conceives of something as a trilogy and they're like, you have to read the whole trilogy to appreciate it, artistically, that's fine. It might not be great for sales, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to tell a story. David uh, Bowler says, um, I think the biologist had to originally be affected by the hypnosis because she was impacted for the energy. Uh, sorry. Mm. Entry. (laughs) Uh, entry. Way to go, old Petrero. Uh, No explanation (laughs) other than spores or area X was given. Could be interplay between personality and area X slash spores, though. So maybe some combination of all those things. But yeah, yeah. She, she was under hypnosis. It might not hypnosis be an all or nothing thing. Initially. So, so she was definitely under hypnosis, but maybe it didn't take as strongly, which is why she was able to look back and see the border. Because mm-hmm. she made a big deal about how she could actually look back and, mm-hmm. and, and see it. She's special. I mean, maybe everybody could. She's special. But I think she was special. Yeah. We also never get her name. No, and we, we don't get, get anyone's name. name. Yeah. I, I, and, and I didn't really notice it except that I was looking for it, but I was like, it didn't really impact it. I was still, I was fine with that. Oh man. I wish I could find that blog post, um, or that, that story that Jeff Vandermeer wrote. Um, he did an essay in a magazine or a newspaper and I, I can't remember what it was, but I read it and it actually made me like the book better. Um, because it was kind of his story of how he came to it and the process of writing and writing the sequels. And um, I think having that kind of insight made me feel a little bit differently about the story. So I'll try to find it and maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I can pull it from my history somewhere. I read an interview on tour.com with him where he talked about how this book, unlike his previously books, which he had previous books where he had to do a lot of historical research, he pulled everything from things he knew. Hmm. Like he, he knew people like the lighthouse keeper. He knew people like the biologist. So he, he grew up in an area in the South similar to this. So, uh, according to this post anyway, uh, so, so I think, I think that gives you a certain kind of appreciation for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about anything else you want to add or do you want to talk about, um, next month's pick? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're done. Uh, we're going to give you some early warning on next month's pick, only because it'll be next month before we do oh, the show. Oh, hold up, hold up. I found, I found the post. It's from oh, The yeah? Atlantic, okay. and it's called From Annihilation to Acceptance, A Writer's Surreal Journey. Put it in the uh, spreadsheet, I and will. I'll add it to the show notes. Okay, great. So next month's the pick. The Goblin... Yes. The Goblin Empire, Empire, no, The Goblin Emperor by (laughs) Catherine Addison will be next month's pick. We'll kick it off in the next episode, Uh, but it's sort of a steampunk-ish fantasy, so I feel like it rightly sits on the border between fantasy and science fiction the way that 
uh, Annihilation does as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. The youngest half-goblin son of the emperor has lived his entire life in exile. Then there's an accident, and he ends up becoming emperor, but he doesn't know anybody. He doesn't have any friends, doesn't have any advisors. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a political... Uh, you know, sort of court fiction, but it's in a steampunky world. So I don't know anything about this novel, really. It was recommended in the thread to last uh, last week's episode or the two weeks ago episode. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, something a little bit different. Um, I know we were looking for something slightly more upbeat, perhaps. Do you feel like maybe we're going to go get there with this one? Or is that not no, this book? It's. I mean, this isn't, it's a change of tone in that, it doesn't it's not a depressing like oh and like like annihilation is intense right mm-hmm. uh and and the night circus was intense the, I, I don't know if this is intense maybe it is um but it's Golly. also not like obviously a downer i may it's, have to pick it, some straightforward like terry pratchett for the month after <laughs> i think it might be time we just get some like real good comedic fantasy up in this, in this just, yeah let's just read like some super light fantasy um Goblin Emperor came out April 1st, 2014, too, so it's fairly new. Awesome. All right, well, guys, uh, check that out for sure. Um, and, you know, we're we're all about supporting local bookstores as well. So if you have a local bookstore and want to pick it up there, um, please do that. That is wonderful. And if you're in San Francisco, uh, you know, come hang out at Borderland sometime. We would love to come see you. Um, our show, of course, is currently funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And like I said, if you want to support it, you know, if you feel like you're getting something out of it, if you want to have a say if you want to be privy to like all sorts of cool insidery knowledge i have to be better about that i need to post more insidery knowledge yeah, we have to actually send them that I before will, you promise it. i will do that um <laughs> head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser and become a co-op of sword and laser become a voting member of sword and laser if you will become part of the community and keep the you know basically, keep the show basically alive all uh, what we're saying is if you get some value out of the show and you can afford to give us some value back, that's a way to do it. That was and a much more us, succinct way of putting that. Thank you, Tom. It helps us continue to do the show. Uh, if you're like, you know what? I cannot afford to do that, Tom. Uh, what else could I do? You could also support the show by buying books through our links. If you're like, I buy books, I do that. That's why I can't afford to go to the Patreon. <laughs> buy them through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our own favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. And of course, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, the email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. And hey, guys, if you haven't been to the website in, in a while because you subscribe to the show via iTunes or Overcast or something like that, head over to the blog because we have some really interesting guest posts by authors. We have uh, featured reviews from you guys our readers we've got some q a from awesome authors like just on the blog not even q a from the podcast so totally separate interviews that you can check out at swordandlaser.com um we've been experimenting more with different kinds of content and it's been really fun so uh go see the fruits of our labors um or if you just want to hop in on the discussions and and become a a contributing forum member head over to goodreads.com slash sword and laser or as always you can call and leave us a voicemail we will play it on the show if you call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. We have an interview with author Gary Witta about his new dark fantasy historical fiction novel, Abomination, coming to you next week. We'll see you then.
This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.